0: welcome to the OCC podcast whether you're listening to this at home on the road at work or in the gym we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's word together we hope and pray that through this ministry you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for a disciple maker but for now sit back and let us help you see how the bible applies to your life today amen that's a good prayer to start out with but Um, I'm going to need a second because there's something in my heart and I I, I just want us to be real open to the Holy Spirit when trying to direct us to stuff. But we just sang a song that said, the cry of my heart is to bring God praise from the inside out. Did we mean that when we sang it? The things that we say, like we're going to say them out loud. Folks can call us on it. That's going to be really important. Is that our heart as we get ready to worship today? I pray that it is. And I know I struggle in this area. So pray with me if you would, as we get ready to open God's word. Father, this is a challenge from your word today to join you where you've placed us and in maybe areas that are not comfortable for us, using gifts that you've given us that spill out from the inside out. Is that what we desire, God, is for you to get the glory, for you to get the praise that you're worthy of? God, open our hearts, open our minds to listen and to be obedient, and I... Pray that you start with me. And we love you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hey, if you have your Bible, we're going to use that today, but we're not walking like we typically do chapter by chapter, verse by verse through a book of the Bible. We finished up Luke last week, which was super exciting, and next week, I'm pretty pumped about this, we're going to take just six weeks and walk real quickly through the Old Testament book of Ruth, which is a really, really neat love story within a much bigger picture love story about God coming to redeem us through his son, so super excited about that, but today we're going to take a little break and we're going to talk about serving in the church. About using the gifts that God gives us to serve in His church. And I feel like that's something we've kind of been hammering on really ever since I came back from my sabbatical. And some of that was just the timing, like the week I came back was our connection fair. We're trying to help everybody figure out where to get plugged in. And then the context, the last several messages in Luke were about that. We talked about the day of Pentecost, which is where the Holy Spirit comes and now indwells Christ followers. And so that was super important. That's where we get our spiritual gifts is there. And and the notion now for us is that once we get those gifts, we're supposed to serve, right? Holy Spirit comes and indwells us on this wild ride called life so we can serve. Paul explains this real clearly, Ephesians chapter four, verse 12. He says, through the Holy Spirit, why do we get these spiritual gifts? For the equipping of the saints, that's us, that's Christ followers, for the work of service, why? To the building up of the body of Christ. And I can summarize this pretty honestly, pretty easily, and, and you know it's not that hard to hear. I think we understand all the ideas. God gives us these gifts so that we can serve in our homes, in our churches, in the world. And he does it so we build up the body. So if we're going out doing things that are not building up the body, if we're doing things that are not bringing glory to God, then we're not doing it right, okay? We're not using our gifts correctly. Ephesians 4.12 and the NASB, which is what I most typically read, says these gifts are for service. If you read ESV, it says these gifts are for ministry. But that's the, the big picture, right? Now, I could make this sermon super short. And a lot of you are like, yay. <laughs> Probably still serving breakfast. Hey, this will be great. We're getting out early. It's fantastic. We'll go to the fair. No, but, but the, here's the idea, right? God wants us to serve. God's all about it. He sent his son to model it. We were given gifts to accomplish it. We'll be blessed when we do it. Amen. I'm getting the waffles, right? Let's get out of here. Right? Now, here's the problem because we can't do this. I think we need to dig deeper into service and to giftedness. And it's because I would imagine every person listening to my voice, whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching online, you've heard that sermon before. If I would ask, I'm not going to do it. If I would say, hey, give me a show of hands. How many of you as Christ followers think it's a good idea to serve? You'd be like, ooh, pick me, pick me, right? The answer is Jesus. I mean, the answer is yes, yes, I'm supposed to serve, right? We know this one. The truth is we do know it, but some of us are not doing it. So what does that mean? I'm super blessed. Christina and I have four kids. They have been one of the greatest blessings in this life, but, but as they have grown up, you parents can identify with me. There are things that we have told them to do like a million and seven times, and they don't do it, right? We'll tell them, and they say, I know, I know, and then they don't do it. Well, that to me means they don't know, right? <laughs> And my kids are getting older, they're, they're getting a little better in some of these areas, but there's still room for improvement. I'm going to show you that here in a second. But, but today, if we confront them about things they should be doing, it's almost even a little more important because a lot of them, I mean, Trace is the only one who's still in high school. All the others, they're getting ready to go become contributing members of society. They should do th- some things better than they do. And my wife has gotten really fed up with kind of harping on them. So she's taken to making signs. She posts signs in strategic locations around our house. With her permission, I'm going to share some of these signs. Here's the one that hangs above our sink. No lie. This is our, our sink. Please. <laughs> Please wash off dishes and place in it. And you know that sign's been there for a while. It's got water splashed all over. It's all curled up, right? That's the sign that actually, the one on the trash can is my favorite. Let's show that one. Please. When trash is full, please take out, put a new bag in, please. I love that she puts the please in twice. She really wants them to get this one, right? (laughs) There are other signs around the house, you get it. The the signs are helping, I'm going to say that. But we needed the signs, because we'd say things like, "Well, one of the ones that drives us crazy, hey, when you're the last one in at night, close the garage door. Like, that doesn't seem that hard. I don't want all my stuff disappearing out of the garage. And, and we'll tell them that like, yeah, I know, I know, I get it. And I'll wake up in the morning, and take the dogs out, and there's a the garage door wide open. and All my tools are gone. No, I haven't been robbed yet. Praise the Lord. But, but I get that, right? Why do they do it? Are they bad kids? Are they mean? Are they nefarious? Do they want to see if they can make that vein in the middle of my forehead explode? <laughs> I've never seen anybody have an aneurysm. This be so, no, they're, they're not nefarious kids, right? They're just not obedient all the time. Now in the midst of, of the sign making, or actually me just taking pictures of the sign my wife made, I was kind of convicted, I'm not obedient all the time either. I don't always do the things that I'm supposed to do. And I've stood up in front of you here on this sta- not this stage, but in a stage like this one that used to be here, there's video evidence of me standing up here talking about how important it is to be obedient. If you remember, we took a self-evaluation just a couple weeks ago, and that was two of the questions. Am I thirsty for God? Am I obedient? This is the stuff we're supposed to be doing. I don't do it all that well sometimes. So I just want you to understand, as I preach this challenge today that comes from God's Word, this isn't for me. This is for me. I'm just sharing it with you because you happen to be in the room. This is what the Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 11.1. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Well, what is Paul imitating? What is he asking us to imitate? Here's a big part of it. Jesus covers in Mark chapter 10. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Why did he come? But to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve and to give his life away. And then Paul set out and said, hey, that's the model. I'm going to follow that. And now we're supposed to imitate Paul as he imitates Jesus. See, that's not so hard to understand. I can read all the words. You know what it's hard to do? Do it. (laughs) It's hard to live that life. So I don't think I can get by preaching the mini-sermon about serving, and then we'll all rush out to breakfast, right? I think we need to spend some time talking about how we can do this, how we can actually engage in using God's gifts to serve in a way where he's going to get the glory. We're going to join him in this big-picture purpose and mission and vision we have. We're going to relationally connect and make disciples who make disciples serve in a way where God knows that we're showing we try to love others and serve others. We're obedient. Now, I do want to real quickly say this, and I had so many people come up after the first service. I am so stinking blessed. God has placed me in a church where many, many of you really get this. Many people in this church totally embrace this serving theology. So OCC is a blessed church. But but still, the bigger picture for me is, what if we all did it? What if every person in this church was on board? What if you went out and asked people in town about OCC and that was the first thing they said, Man, that church serves. That church serves like nobody's business. How cool would that be? If that was where we were, would our valley look different? Would our local schools look different? Would our neighborhoods look different? This is a real battle. they are legitimate needs. And, and one of the things that really I just hurts my heart, I read about church statistics. It's not just OCC. I read about churches in the valley. I read about churches across America. And, and it really shows statistics paint a bleak picture of attendance in churches. Attendance is declining. And one of the big reasons they give is that younger people, younger families, don't come to church. Younger families are distancing themselves from church. Why? Well, I was looking at statistics this week, and it seems like one of the big ones is that young people don't think the church is helpful because they don't see the church serving in the world around us. I got these statistics from a guy named David Kinnaman, who's well-respected, took over the Barnett group. He did a survey, and here's what he found, quote, "'Research shows that our local churches have almost no influence on this culture.'" Outsiders, he's asking people outside the church. Outsiders' perceptions of Christianity reflect a church that is infatuated with itself. Kinnaman further states this. In society at large, the perception of evangelical Christianity is disproportionately negative. The ratio is 16 to 1. Yeah, 16 people outside the church. 16 people will say bad things before you find one person says a positive thing. How do we get there? How did this happen? The other pastors are standing up on stages just like this saying, we need to love God. We need to love others. We need to love our neighbors as ourselves. And people from outside the church look at us overwhelmingly negative. Why is that? Is it because we're not serving? Is it because we're not reaching the world with the things that we're talking about? Our actions don't match our words? We want the church to grow. I was doing some research on the early church. Back in the second and third centuries, Christianity spread like wildfire. We talked about this after Christ ascended and he gave his apostles that mission. They were going to go out and share the message of repentance with the world. But I mean, that started with a handful of guys, right? And they went out. And by the second and third century, 56% of the known world, the Greco-Roman world, 56% was committed to Christianity. Now, smart people like me will go, well, let's just copy that strategy. (laughs) Whatever they were doing, let's go do that. I don't think we want to do that. Do you know what their church growth strategy was? It was the plague. You guys who study history remember this, right? This is what it was. In 165 AD, there was a massive plague, killed about 25% of people in the cities. That contagious. Just to help you get numbers in your head, there's roughly 60,000 people in the Lewiston-Clarkston- Metropolitan statistical area, it's Lewis and Clark, Minnesota. 60,000 people. What if all of a sudden 15,000 of them just died? That's what this was, right? That happened in 165 AD. And then another hundred years later, there was another plague. If you're not squeamish like me and and you want to read the history, you can study this. It's horrible, it's gruesome. I read accounts this week. (laughs) Mothers and fathers would take their kids and throw them out in the street when they'd get the plague so they wouldn't get infected themselves. It's not a a fun read. Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity, and he's writing about this time period. And he writes, there was a famous doctor in one of the cities named Galen. And when the plague broke out in the city, Dr. Galen left. Moved out of town. Didn't jump in and serve using the training he had as a doctor. He left. Stark quotes a Christ follower of that time named Dionysus, and he said this, Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they served. They took care of the sick, ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life happy. Time out, Pastor James. Departed this life start continues, for they were infected by the others with the plague, drawing on themselves the sicknesses of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. They lost their lives serving in this manner. Many of the Christians took their neighbor's death on themselves by nursing their neighbors back to health and in the process died in their place. Well, that's a nice story, Pastor James. That's great. All the Christians dying from the plague. What's the happy ending We have to look big picture here. I don't think if we look at these circumstances, there's a happy ending. I'll tell you what there is. There's a kingdom of God ending. Because by 350 AD, less than a couple hundred years later, 56% of the world were committed Christ followers. They saw something so incredible. This movement that started with just a few people sharing the gospel, now they see these people willing to die to serve others. And man, did that attract people to what they were following. They saw love in action. They saw Christ followers serve in radical ways. And I'm going to tell you this, that is a good church growth strategy. Selfless sacrifice, that's attractive. So how do we do it? Practically, from an application standpoint, where are we going to look to jump out and do this radical service? Well, I think the call to God is so comprehensive that that the call to his service is as well. So here's the answer. We gotta do this everywhere. We have to do this in our homes. We have to do this in the local church. And then we gotta do it outside the church as well. We need to figure out ways to engage and serve in those areas as servant leaders. That's what God is calling us to. He wants Christ followers to be servant leaders. Now that title is tricky. Because many of us, I I won't put this on you either, this is me, many of us like the title leader more than we like servant, (laughs) They like it in the movies too. Whenever the aliens come and they land and little green men come out, what do they say? Take me to your leader, right? They never say, hey, where are all the servants at? No, they, they want to go to the guy on top, right? And we like to be the guy on top. But we probably noticed this in the Bible. Jesus doesn't care so much for the guy on top. <laughs> Jesus was often pretty confrontational. And so his plan for developing leaders was radical. He wanted servant leaders. He wanted leaders who would imitate him and he's a servant leader, so if we like the t- title leader more than servant, we could be in trouble. Let me share with you this example. You probably heard this story. There were two young brothers. They grew up working for their dad in the family business. They were going to one day take over the family business. They were so excited. Dad had started this real profitable enterprise. And from as early as he could remember, he brought his two sons along with him. And they worked with him, Johnny and Jim. And, and it was hard work. It was manual labor. So these kids knew growing up up what that was like. They'd like work all day, and then they'd go home and just literally fall into bed exhausted. But they loved the work, and they started to like being in charge, right? Because next to their dad, it was them. Everybody looked up to them. Everybody knew who was going to assume all the responsibility. Now, Johnny and Jim, they had really bad anger management issues. (laughs) These guys had short fuses. They became kind of infamous for their thundering tempers. But they were hard workers, And their dad came to rely on them to maintain and develop the business. They were all in. Then one day, a new guy rolls through town. This young guy, he's starting an organization, and he handpicked these two brothers to join him. This new organization with 10 other guys. There were 12 guys. They were very diverse, but an elite group. And they answered the call. Johnny and Jim left the father's business, right? Right? But they started having issues right away with their new boss because he was a lot different than they were. <laughs> he was very patient. They were very anxious, right? He had great compassion for people. Johnny and Jim didn't. They wanted to use people, right? But probably their biggest issue was in their position on the team. They loved that in the family business. They'd been number two, right? They were just under the top. Here in this new business, they were just two out of 12 guys. There, there was no real hierarchy. There was no formal pecking order. Now, Johnny and Jim and another guy in the group did get to hang out with the boss a little more than the other guys, but they were looking for more, right? They knew they had management written all over them, so they conspired to come up with a way they're going to get a leg up on the other guys. They waited for a time when they were alone with the boss, and they kind of suggested, hey, when it comes time to develop your org chart for how this all works out, just remember, I could sit at your right hand and my brother could sit at your left, we'd be in this great spot that wasn't enough. They arranged a close relative of theirs to go and plead their case as well. Why? They didn't want to be servants. They wanted to be leaders. Probably hard to believe their secret plan didn't stay secret very, very, for very long. The, the other guys on the executive team, they heard about it, and then they went out. They plotted some countermeasures to make sure they'd have good titles, good positions when the boss announced the ore chart. You familiar with this story? This is all what precedes what happens in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. Jesus Christ rolls in. He's the boss of this new organization. that's called the Kingdom of God. But he's not like any boss that James and John have ever seen. So he calls an executive meeting of his disciples. He says, you guys have totally missed the point. You guys are not getting this. You don't understand the purpose of all the time I've been spending with you. You're not getting all the lectures. You're not getting all the -the on-the-job training. You can't seem to grasp this kingdom of God is about giving, not getting. Guys are missing the boat. Kingdom of God is built on service, not on securing a leadership position. You gotta build to be servant leaders. It's a paraphrase. This is what he actually says. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 42. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers, as leaders of the Gentiles, lay lorded over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. Verse 43, but it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. This is what gets us to verse 45 we mentioned earlier. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. That's a principle that still plays out today. (laughs) That conversation took place over 2,000 years ago. We need that reminder just as much today. As Christ followers, we should imitate Jesus, and people are going to see that in our service. We're not supposed to look out for number one, like Dr. Galen did when he ran out of town, right? We're supposed to live differently. Now, we won't have time to explore this in depth, but if you grabbed an outline coming in, there's three big areas where we can do this. We're supposed to serve in our homes, in the local church, and in the world. As much as I can tell, that pretty much covers everything. That's where we're supposed to serve. Now, what that's gonna look like, well, goodness, that's gonna be different for every one of us. It'll be even different depending on our gifts. But I know priority-wise, we got to start serving in our homes. If we're not doing that, we're missing out. Most obvious notion, if we have kids, equip our kids. Train them, probably better than the signs that I'm using, but (laughs) we've been trying for a long time to to pour into them, right? So they can learn to close the garage door. We're we're modeling things. We're serving our kids. And, And my older kids are ready to go out into the world and I know there's areas where they are prepared. Are we thinking about the the model that we're giving? If you're married, man, what an opportunity to serve your spouse. This is just super practical. I'll give you this in free of charge. If there's a task your spouse hates doing, you do it. That's an easy way to serve. That sign above the sink, I know that's not for me because I hand wash all the dishes in our house. And not because I'm better at it than my wife. She's better at every cleaning task that would ever be in the house, I guarantee. But she gets eczema. On her hands, if she puts her hands in water for a real long time. So now, when she's cleaning out the sink, she just leaves the stuff to be hand washed right inside. She knows I'll come by and do that. Why? Because I love washing dishes? No. Because I want to serve my wife. <laughs> and that's an easy way to do it. If we want to serve, we'll find those spots. If we're married, they're there all the time. The, the way we treat one another. The love and respect we show one another, the honor we give to one another, that's an incredible service to God if we do that in front of our kids. The most important context we will have for loving God, loving others, and serving is in our homes, okay? Even if you're not married, even if you don't have kids, you've still got other family members, right? And you can serve them. Now, I know that is hard because you got a job and your job's gonna require you to spend X numbers of hours outside the home. So you may actually spend less time in the home, but man, while you're there, make it intentional. The, The things are on your outline in this order for a reason. There's a priority here. Hear me on this. There will be no higher calling God places on your life to serve others that would have you forget your family. They've gotta be first. It's God, then your family, then these other things. So we gotta be serving at home additionally and this is the one we probably spend the most time talking about we're supposed to serve in the church you have gifts that have been given you by the holy spirit and one of the easiest places to find to use them is in the church Bring god glory building up the body but god gives us those gifts so we can use them he doesn't give us the gifts so we'll sit on them right and hoard them that doesn't make sense If you're interested in finding out about your spiritual gift, we're doing something we've really never done in the seven plus years I've been at the church. But out at the info counter, we've got copies of a spiritual assessment inventory. Have you ever taken one of those or not? We've got a link to that on the website as well. But you can get that and you can take that assessment and try to discern what kind of gifts has God has given you. Now, if you're discerning, I do think the assessments can be good. I just want to offer this caveat. If you take that assessment, make sure when you get done and you get a list, hey, here's some gifts I have, schedule a meeting with someone on staff here. Probably it would make sense the pastor who's got oversight over the area where you find out you're gifted. Circle them in, okay? It's going to be real helpful to recognize the gift that God has given, but I've read the Bible and I don't see anything in there about taking a test to find it out, right? I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but I don't know if it's the very best idea. Assessments are a little tricky because they're subjective. We've probably all taken a personality assessment at some point in time and we know what we want it to say, so we fill out the answers that way, right? We can do that. I know that. But, but here's the deal. We're just responding to questions. We're tabulating answers. It gives us a number. And I'm not against the assessments. I've taken some that were really helpful. I'm going to be 100% honest. I had no idea that I would be doing this. Like I never thought this was the thing. I used to own a sporting goods store. God can use me. He can use anybody. I'm telling you right now. But, but I took a spiritual gifts test when I was on Young Life staff. And teaching and preaching came out as my number one gift. And it surprised me. Blew my mind, right? I was trying to be fairly <laughs> objective. So, so there's a value in them. But here's what I want to say. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts. And he does that according to God's will. Because he knows how he wants us to serve. And so if we know that, I honestly think he's more invested in us finding out the answers than we are. He wants us to use them. So tests are tricky. There's different opinions on the whole topic. There's not even a single exhaustive list of all the gifts given in Scripture. There's lots of disagreement about how to use them. So that's why I'm saying, talk with a pastor. Let's have those conversations. But I think it's worthwhile to figure out what your gift is. And I think the very best way is to pray. Pray and ask God, will you show me? Will you give me the opportunities to use my gift? And there are tons of things in your home. There are tons of things here in the body There's tons of things in the world and virtually everything that we do, opportunities we offer to relationally connect, you can do them here on a trial basis in the church, okay? Even the areas where you need a background check to go serve, you could just drop by and check things out and try. Talk with the pastors and staff that are in charge of those certain things and say, hey, is this an area where you could see God using me? Give it a shot and if you have peace about that, if you get confirmation from others, that could be your gift for sure. That's a great, great thing. But if you want to take the assessment, please do talk with somebody. The, the whole idea is you're using it to discover what your gift is. And once you know what your gift is, we're supposed to use it. We're not supposed to sit on them. I read a book one time and I loved it. It was called Redeeming the Routines. The author was a guy named Robert Banks. And he says, in the church, when we use our gifts, it should look like when you go to a little kid's birthday party. Have you ever done that? Some of you with young kids. I used to love this, man, because my wife would plan all the parties and I'd sit back and watch the chaos and like occasionally hold the pinata real far away. (laughs) Those things are so much fun. Like little five-year-olds at a party, and, and like at the end, when they're going to open presents, because everybody brought a present, right? After you peel them off the wall after they sugar high. If you've never seen this, I guarantee this happens at every party. They all gather around the kid who's going to open presents, and they're sitting there, and they're glued to it. They absolutely love it. Why? Do you know why they sit there like that? It's not because they're, you know, just jealous of the kid's haul of Christmas presents or birthday presents. They're there waiting for the kid to open the gift that they brought. They want to see that kid tear open the gift that they brought. Banks says that's what the church should look like. Only it's even better because the gifts aren't just for one person. The gifts are for everybody. We bring a gift and we're supposed to open it and everybody gets to use it. It's the most beautiful picture. I can't get it out of my head. I absolutely love that. God gives us the gifts to use. Are we using them? I do feel like I've been kind of hammering on this because of the timing, as I said, coming back to the Connection Fair and our ministry kickoff. But I, I want to tell you, over the last month or so that I've been back, I'm seeing this happen. It is so incredible. I was out at Gathering Grounds the other day. That's our, our coffee ministry out there. And they were training eight new volunteers who had signed up to help. It's phenomenal. We've got a sweet young intern back in the uh, sound booth area. Don't turn around and look because people who serve back there want to be... <laughs> they don't want people looking at them. <laughs> but, but that's a great way to serve. We've had people, brand new people join the greeting team. There's incredible things that I'm seeing. That's fantastic, but we still have needs in this body. I talked about wanting to be relevant to young people and, and have young families be part of the church. And right now, we're having trouble offering child care at all three of our services because we don't have enough servant leaders. It breaks my heart. Hear me on this. There's needs and you might be the one that God is calling to fill that need. Amen? We should be serving out of our giftedness in our home. We should be serving in the church. And number three, we should be serving in the world. Now again, this this is too big for us to fully explore today. But we need to ask, again, if we're connected to our purpose and our mission and our vision, we're saying we want to be relationally connected so we can make disciples and make disciples so we can join God as he transforms the world. That's how we join in. Well, how are we going to see that happen if we're never going to get outside of our home? If we're never going to get outside of the church, right? We've got to join God in this. I read a book a long time ago. It's called There's a Hole in the Gospel. I don't 100% agree with everything in the book, but there were some really challenging things. It was written by a guy named Richard Starnes. He's the president emeritus of World Vision. You've probably heard of World Vision, this huge Christian ministry organization. And so Starnes has this huge burden for missions, but more specifically, he really has a a huge burden for people who are living in poverty. So much of the world lives in abject poverty. And so Starnes goes around and speaks at conferences and he speaks in churches and he begs God's people, hey, if you love the Lord with everything you've got, would you consider serving in the world? And he says so many times people say, I I just can't do it. I'm busy serving in my home, I'm busy serving in my church. And that may be 100% accurate. Okay, you got to know, and we don't want to get out of priority order. So so we have to understand that. But the reasons those things are in the order they are in the outline is on purpose, right? Don't neglect the other priorities, the higher priorities. But the thing that Richard Starne says he's kind of discovered is that many people just don't want to go serve in the world because it would get them out of their comfort zone. And he introduced a term that I love here. He said, far too often, Christians want to serve in the magic kingdom, is what he calls it. That's where you serve in your family. That's where you serve in the church. And you're like, well, I can serve there. And yeah, it may be exhausting, but at least it's comfortable. At least I know those people. I can serve all day at an event at my church. And then when I go home at night, I can still sleep in my own bed and it's comfortable. And he gets that. He says, it's like a trip to the magic kingdom. He says, the problem is almost half of the world's population resides in a tragic kingdom. Half of the world's population lives on less than $5.50 a day. At that cost, there's no guarantee of comfort. There's no guarantee of security. There's no guarantee they have a bed to go lay in at night. And so to help those people living in the tragic kingdom, Stern says, some of us need to step out of the magic kingdom. We need to go into this world and serve. Now, God's word couldn't be any clearer here, right? We're using the gifts God has given us to serve in our homes, serve in the church, serve in the world. The opportunities are out there. Are we paying attention to the call God's placing on our life. Will we engage? That's the real question. Now, this is not a single issue question, right? Because we get the harsh reality to this. Well, what if I went out and served in the world and I died? What about those Christ followers in the early church who cared for the people with the plague? I mean, what, what, were they super Christians? Better, stronger, faster than me, right? Is that what they were? The Bible says No. If we read the accounts, they were people who struggled with the same kind of things we struggle with, but they were obedient. They went out and served out of love. And you can believe the world looked different to the tune of 56% of the world becoming Christ followers. We know what the results could be if we engage. So, will we engage? Am I engaging? close just one example from scripture, and this is a challenging one. I'll tell you that. If you have your Bible, you can join me in the book of Esther. I'll set the scene. We're in Esther chapter four. Queen Esther lives in the magic kingdom, okay? (laughs) That's where she's landed. She hadn't told anybody about her heritage, that she's a Jew, but this guy Haman, he's devised a plan to wipe out all the Jews. Esther's a Jew. And Esther's relative, Mordecai, gets word to Esther, hey, the people out here in the tragic kingdom, they need your help. So Mordecai asked her, would you go to the king when you plead for the Jews? Here's what Esther says, chapter four, verse 11. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death, unless... The king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And oh, just by the way, I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. What's Esther saying? Yeah, Mordecai, that's a problem, right? That's a real issue. I feel sorry for all those Jewish people, but I'm here in the magic kingdom, right? I'm safe. I feel bad for those in the tragic kingdom, but I'm gonna be okay. I'm paraphrasing, but you get the point. So in this spot, is Esther more concerned about her comfort or about being obedient? And answer that one on your own. She has an opportunity here to be a servant leader. Will she do it? Now here's where the real challenge is. This is not an Esther-only problem. How do we respond when we get the chances to step up and serve? And maybe we say, well, I do. I love God with everything I've got. But like Esther, I'm just not quite ready to serve yet. Loving my neighbor with everything I got, that's gonna be costly. I need some time to prepare for that. Can we spot the big problem with that? How you gonna know when? If we're leaving it up to ourselves to figure out when, we are never gonna be ready, I'll tell you that. Here's the truth. On our own, we're not gonna join God in God-sized things. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why he pours the gifts into us so that we can be used by him for his glory to build the body. That's what Esther says. I'm just not ready to yet. And so Mordecai encourages her, and this is hard encouraging, I'll tell you this. This is you gotta speak the truth in love sometimes, and Manny does. Look at verse 13 and 14, Esther chapter 4. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther: Do not imagine that you in the magic kingdom can escape any more than all the Jews for if you remain silent at this time relief and deliverance will arise for the jews from another place holy spirit's pouring into mordecai he gets big picture for sure he says you and your father's house are going to perish but this i love and who knows whether you've not attained royalty for such a time as this here's your shot esther God has a plan for Esther's life. She was uprooted from her homeland. She went and won this really weird beauty contest that landed her in the Magic Kingdom. And now she has an opportunity to literally save hundreds of thousands of people's lives. Is she gonna take it? Have we stopped? I I was really wrestling with God last night out at the fire pit at my house. Have we stopped and, and asked him, why did you put me where you got me? Why have you placed me in this spot, God, at this time? Is there something I'm supposed to be doing? Is now the time I'm supposed to step up and be a servant leader in my home? Is now the time I'm supposed to step up in my church? We had a, in the video earlier about starting home groups. That'd be a phenomenal way for people to get connected. Are you sitting here right now going, I could do that? You know there's huge needs in children's ministry. Are you sitting here right now going, well, that could be me, I could do that. I could step up in that area. There's lots of needs in our homes, in the church, in the body. Is God preparing us Is this our, for such a time as this? Look at Esther chapter four, verse 16. I want us to see Esther's reply to this challenge from Mordecai. She says, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Gather together, fast, seek God, then engage. And Esther steps up. up, She says, if I die, I die. God used one girl to change the course of history. What if this entire local church? What if everyone here at OCC engaged? What if we all made this commitment to love God with everything we've got and love our neighbors as ourselves, and we showed it by being servant leaders? Answering God's call to serve. And and even if it was dangerous, even if we had to say, if I perish, I perish. What would this church look like? What would this valley look like? What would this world look like? I have an idea and it's glorious, but here's the problem. I gotta step up. I gotta do it. I can only do my part. You can only do your part. But you know, the only way we're gonna be successful to do this part is the Holy Spirit in us. (laughs) It's God working through us. He's given us the gifts to use in his body. Will we be servant leaders? Is this our, for such a time as this? I love you guys. God bless you. Let's pray. Daddy, this is a a huge challenge. And I'm thankful for the opportunity that you have given me to be able to, to open your word and teach. And God, the reality is, it, I need to be the first student for sure. Paul said to imitate him as he followed Christ. If I'm gonna stand and teach out of your word, I've, I've gotta imitate you. I don't want anybody to follow me, God. I'm so flawed. I, I want people to, to live the lives that you desire for them. Using the gifts that you have given them for your glory. God, there's a a picture in my head of this valley of what that could look like. We live in a world that is. (laughs) We live in a world that's broken, God. Help us to engage, help us to respond like Esther. So there's, there's no guarantee of my safety, but I'm going to wade into this thing that you've gifted me to do, God, for your glory. Because, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Will we join you on this mission? Accomplish your vision. God, I, there are so many people in this church, I'm in awe of them. I can't have idols, biblically, but, but I, I just am in awe of the way I see people using their gifts to serve. God, help us to every one of us to engage in that way in our homes, in this local church, in the world for your glory. God, we love you and we praise you. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel, You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. Take care and God bless.